This is a Bramble Jam podcast. Happy New Year! It's Bran, and I love Hallmark movies. Uh, Happy New Year! I'm Dan, and I despise Hallmark movies. Happy New Year! I'm Neil, and I'm in Hallmark movies. And this and is the deck. The- oh, my bad. <laughs> Sorry. He no, wasn't done. That's right. That's and this is, is the, the Deck, Deck to Hallmark, Hallmark Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's a new year, new us, new That's set. Right. Got a new set going on yeah, here. Yeah, we do. Got rid of the Christmas tree. Actually, all we did, everybody, spoiler alert, we just shifted the Christmas tree over. It's still so right it's there. Right it's behind just, Dan's chair when right. he watches the movies, he's I just going to be glowing right in Christmas uh, joy. That's right. Um, because I I mean, I, I, I'm here all the time, new, and so I like the Christmas tree. New year, new us, same bad intro yes. where we somehow <laughs> mess it up, and we've done 500 of these. 500. We've never done a good intro, no. and Neil helped us out by pausing in between Hallmark movies and in a gag movie. <laughs> yeah, so. you didn't help us. You, didn't, you weren't setting us up for success. Neil Bledsoe, first time on the podcast, a long-time listener from what I understand. That's right. Uh, listener, favorite episode, favorite, well, favorite what, what you got? This one. This one. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's, the, the, that's the correct that's answer. I mean, sound probably answer. where you guys called me Sad Carousel Boy. Yeah. It's probably, <laughs> probably my favorite. You know, anytime we don't know an actor personally and we do a uh, bit like we did with Sad Carousel Boy, we're always scared to reach out because it's like if they've listened. And then we were at Christmas Con and we had one of our listeners come over and go, I just met Neil Bledsoe. He would love the Sad Carousel Boy bit and he would be great on your show. We were like, well, that's it. We got to have him on the show. That's the end of that we discussion. Got to recreate sad carousel boy it Man, was it was, a it was a great first uh first impression of magic it was a moment it was of magic. what they call in the industry a meat cute meat cute that's uh, what it was and it was uh hecka cute hecka cute hecka cute that's exactly right um happy new year neil do you uh do you happy do new year's year. resolutions can we get personal here do you got anything that you're trying to better yourself in this year or are your new year's resolutions to be worse i don't know i'm kind of I start out pretty awesome, yeah. so it's it's <laughs> it hard helps. to really improve on. Uh, I don't know. I, I consider myself a generally pretty happy person, so I don't usually do the, the New Year's resolution. That feels like uh, something that people in spin classes do. That's yeah. right. I'm with Neil on this, and yeah. I give Bran a hard time. He's I, a he's a spin class uh, boy. I, I don't do a lot of New Year's resolutions. I don't you do a lot of ever, Oh, don't stop it. What? Since what? I've known you. What do I do? The best one though, Neil, was he one year he said, I'm, <laughs> I'm giving up I'm giving up fried food this year. No fried food. Okay. And he said aside aside from wings at the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he said aside from wings of the super bowl so we got together on january 1st this was like 2015 we got together on january 1st to watch college football bowl games and we're sitting there and he's eating chips and salsa and i'm like so the resolution's already over and he's like no these are tortilla chips they're not fried he did not know that tortilla chips were fried corn they should put that in the name. They shouldn't. <laughs> fried corn chips. Yeah. Fried, fried corn chips. Yeah. Okay. But it, but I. You know what? I think that was a good learning lesson because I don't do a lot of crazy crazy ones. Anymore. It was one of them learning yeah. lessons. Learn, one yeah, of you the, don't. You're right. You I don't, don't do, do a lot of crazy. Is what Obama calls a teachable moment. That's right. It was That's a teachable right. moment. That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> maybe I just shouldn't do this. I. You know, Nikki Deloach posted a really great post yesterday where she said, "New year, new me." Uh, not having that. I've I've worked pretty hard to get to the me that I am now, I'm, I'm just going to try to get a little bit better, but same me. Like That's I'm right. not trying to start over. This is same me. years, years of work here. So I'm uh, brave. I'm free. Right. It's who I'm supposed to be. There's That's a lot exactly of social right. pressure to feel like you're some sort of chrysalis turning into a butterfly. Each year. That's right. Yeah. No, no, well, no. I, um, I'm is that chrysalis. Mm-hmm. I, I am turning, 30 on monday that's right uh so that's a uh i do feel like i should have some things together in my life and i don't and that's okay i mean you got a wife and kids i got a wife and yeah but you know you you do podcasts for a living yeah and you know a thriving business and (laughs) i bought my third house third beach house so yeah, but third beach house. But listen, really, how much wow. money are we making that I don't know about well, around here? Today's been a good day. It's been a good day. I mean, well, maybe the better question was which bank is loaning to us. That's them. right. That's, That's right. right. We don't, you know, credit cards, guys. That's right. uh, it's free money. <laughs> Subprime. Free Subprime, money. Baby. Some moron said, hey, here's a $20,000 limit, you, you moron. <laughs> Have fun. Uh, Neil, let's dive into life. Um, you let's are a, an adult now, but at one point you were not. That's so right. let's go back no. there and find out who you were as a kid, where you grew up, 
and when you first started to kind of uh, tickle the and idea of acting, how big of an impact? How big of an impact uh, relative quarterback Drew Bledsoe had on your life? Yeah, I would like to know that as well. Absolutely. Well, good football question. Um, I uh, all right. So I was born in Toronto, but I spent all of three months of my life there. and Moved mm. back to Seattle pretty quickly after. So okay. I'm uh, I'm a dual citizen, which okay. uh, for some reason the internet thinks I'm from Canada, although I'm not. Okay. Um, I grew up in Seattle, and all of my family were University of Washington fans until the one day that I saw the Apple Cup, and I saw Drew. Bl I saw the name Bledsoe on the back of a Wazoo jersey, and I was like, "Who's that?" Now the story goes that I think Drew Bledsoe was actually from the the more sophisticated, wealthier side of my family. Like my side of the family, were all like pirates and ne'er do wells. <laughs> in that part of the family, they were like senators. I mean, you look at what Drew Bledsoe's done after he retired from football. He started his own winery. Some it's like bougie stuff. Yeah. Right? So that I think I I think I started lying and telling people that we were like first cousins when I was maybe twelve. <laughs> like I would wear the jersey. You got it. You got it. Yeah, he's your cousin, right? Come on. And then, then there was one magical day when I was about thirty-five that he followed me on Instagram. No, like, oh yeah. <laughs> Do you guys know? Uh, did you see the uh, the movie with Candace Cameron and John Brotherton this year? Yes, yeah, the Christmas contest. John Brotherton is actually Drew Bledsoe's cousin by marriage, and he came up to me like we were at a test in uh, like years ago, maybe 10, 12 years ago. He was like, I, "So I got to ask you, are you Drew Bledsoe's cousin?" And I was like. Uh, all right. He was, it was like I, I had finally come clean. Just like I had been able to get this lie off my chest. And it was, thank God I did it to him. Because he was like, oh, because I'm actually his first cousin. I was like, you've lived the life I always told people. That's right. Thank you. But did you actually switch to being a Washington State fan instead of Washington but, but because uh, of that? I don't know. I'm kind of a free age. I guess so. But okay. then... Not really. And then there, then there's the Mike Leach days and yeah. the, uh, the air raid days. The, the Ryan Leaf days were hard for me. Yeah. You know, well, they were really, really good, but it's hard to. A lot about Ryan Leaf has been hard for Ryan Leaf. So, you know. And that's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And actually, I'm actually, I'm friends with Ryan Leaf's brother, oddly enough, who's really? also an actor here. It's, it's, that's it's a very strange, twisted life. I do want to hear more about your childhood, but I have a question. You know, part yeah. of Hallmark's deal is they get a tax break if one of the leads is Canadian. Oh, yeah. You are American, yeah. but technically also dual citizen. Do they get that tax break with you, or do you know that information? You better believe it, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they do. do. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's Runaway Productions, which is what a lot of TV movie the weeks are. Um rely heavily on that structure right yeah. so they that is how they get they get tax breaks for the everybody number two on down if they're canadian they'll get a huge tax break for them so it's like i don't you guys remember the the snl skit where they say the uh, canadian handsome chris bearstick of course well there's a reason that he's canadian <laughs> handsome and so i guess i'm i'm dual handsome maybe. so you're american but canadian handsome but is that, what you're saying i'm canadian handsome exactly. i love it it yeah, was three uh, three months total in canada is that correct three months total and it's and it's been nice for me. <laughs> man that's the way to do it right there <laughs> i mean man right. it's I, yeah exactly i'm an anchor baby just <laughs> that's what i was gonna say you beat me to it wow he's a canadian handsome anchor baby that is fantastic it's unbelievable. <laughs> man, good, good on you that's good the title you. of your memoir and i i just gave it to you for free well, i'm actually yeah, absolutely i'm changing my bio on instagram right now <laughs> As you should. Yeah. Um, so back so, to childhood. Yeah. So where'd you go to school? In, uh, you were in Seattle? Yeah, I went to, I went to school in Seattle. Um, God, I went to uh, probably umpteen thousand different schools. Ended up uh, going to um, four or five different high schools. What? Uh, wow. Of, did you just get of, kicked out a bunch? Were you, uh, were you throwing bows? I did, yeah. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, I, uh, was it I fighting? I didn't graduate my first senior year. No, no, no. Was, wasn't even anything that interesting. It was just kind of being a just a general kind of, I don't know, I just wasn't going to school. Yeah, uh, I don't think I was do all that interested in it. And it was the best thing for me. I had to watch every single person I knew in high school graduate without wow. me. Wow. Um, yeah. And so, like, I was, uh, I was kind of faced with this choice of whether I was going to, I don't know, join the military or go get a GED and mm. uh and so I went, went away to boarding school and I got uh, I, my one pet trick because I was really good at history, actually. 
So I was so far ahead of my history class that I was actually teaching the unit on the Eastern Front of the Second World War to my history class. Oh my gosh. which won me no friends, and uh, <laughs> right, and oh, but uh, I was able to. You mean Neil, was, the guy that skips school and is the delinquent, but owns Solon history? How did you it, not have it was friends, weird. Neil? It was, like, <laughs> it was this weird sort of like my my brother's a historian and my dad's a historian. Wow! So I just grew up listening to those stories, and for whatever reason, that like the the why of history and the cause and effect of it just sticks in my head. So. I was going to go to uh, I was going to go to university, but the only reason I could think to go was to join a fraternity and like just drink away four years of my life. Mm. Go, go to Wazoo, essentially. Yes. Yeah, and, you get it. Um, and uh, I thought I should have a better reason for it. So I ended up going to my third high school for senior year. And I went to did a postgraduate year at this place called Idlewild School of the Arts. And it was the first place that I was like acting and writing. It was the first place I got poems published um his first place that was like a professional place that i knew i was any good at it and then the next year i went to uh, a theater school down in north carolina winston-salem baby no really what, what? really exactly. quick going back to the, yeah. the 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 high school that you went to for the when you did the, doing the things where did you act and do those things because it was a requirement of a, as a part of do, being in that school uh which school the, the idlewild the, the idlewild yeah no, Idlewild is an art school. Okay. Like so it, how did you, had just, you ever acted before, before then? Kind of. Like I, I was like, I was always essentially like the new kid. You know, I was always like a, in a new place, new spot. So what I would do is I would like, I'd basically watch and live in color because I didn't have much structure at home. And then like <laughs> I'd repeat it verbatim to my grade school class and do like Fire Marshal Bill or, or yeah. Caddyshack or something like that. And I think that kind of... Uh, that kind of got me into this mode where I would just kind of perform for people. And for whatever reason, I would like, uh, I did like a handful of school plays and things like that, but I wasn't like a child performer or anything. I got you. Now, I, I, back real quick. This is fascinating. And I, I, we could probably do a few hours on this, and I know we don't have that time. But you, your parents, you, they did they sit you down and go, hey, you got to go to boarding school? Was that the, the deal? They sat down and like, look, you got to be sent away to like, get get this under control or what no i was actually kidnapped in the middle of the night are you serious yeah yeah well not the middle of the night i mean it was like something out of a wes anderson film i was like <laughs> i was in was everything my, like a pinkish yellow hue uh, basically kind of a little bit everything was very neatly organized it was very, very ocd friendly <laughs> yeah um well maybe not like uh maybe it was more like harold mod a little bit but, okay um, all right there was something about it like i was listening to Cat Stevens's father and son when I get this like knock on my door and um, I was my mom opened the door and there's like these these two officers from Idaho uh, these guys are going to take you to this uh, place called Ascent and I flew with them to this essentially like outward bound like camp in the middle of nowhere for like like Paris Hilton went to this place like it was kind of like for bad kids that wow intervention. I went and I was like, I was maybe six weeks shy of my 18th birthday. And everybody in high school was like, where did Neil go? I was just like, I was bit, basically what the CIA does to people. I was like black sided to Idaho by my parents. And, but it was, it was the best possible thing. That This is unreal. What did your parents do for a living that they could afford something like this? Um, my dad doesn't really, didn't really do much. My, uh, it was hard financially. I think. Okay. It was. Yeah, it wasn't the easiest. It wasn't kind of like a, a financial afterthought or, or a rounding error. It's like, hey, let's send Neil to boarding school. <laughs> <laughs> we, Where did Neil go? Yeah. My God, let's send him away. <laughs> go to the back room and get the wad of cash. Yeah. We well, have for boarding school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, not that one. The other one. <laughs> you know, the one. What was your initial reaction when you get the knock knock? Um, I was, I don't know. I was like oddly kind of calm about oh. it. Um, you know, it was like, uh, I think, you know, it was, it was a strange experience because like I had always wanted to act, right? And I had always wanted to be, I had always wanted to be in performing arts. But I think when you grow up in a kind of a small town like that, or like Seattle sometimes kind of feels like a small town, mm -hmm. it feels as if you can't do the things that you maybe want to do inside, right? Like you're, there's this social pressure to conform to 
what everybody else is doing. And I think I fell into that trap and I was like all my, my great ambition through high school was to drink as much as I could and sleep with whoever I could, you know? And so mm -hmm. like, that's kind of what I was doing. But in the back of my mind, it was like, this is a pretty dead life. There's a dead end to this. Right. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that, I, I think I just kind of knew I needed to get out and I needed to escape. So when these guys showed up, I was like, part of me was like, thank God, yeah. thank God that this thing could actually like, get to, I don't know, just like to have a, a, an interruption to that. And it was like, it was, I think the best possible thing. I couldn't Fantastic. see it at the time, but like in hindsight, it was, it was instrumental. So, wow. so what got you all the way across the country to Winston-Salem? Were you just looking for a good school for the arts and, and that's the one yeah. you found? Yeah. So I, so I went to Idlewild and I, you know, that was the first time that I was like acting like regularly in plays and things like that. But I still didn't know how good I was at it. And I went to this thing called the Unified Auditions in Chicago, which is like every theater school, everybody that wants to be an actor from all over the country for like a week, they go to the Palmer House Hilton in Chicago and they audition for every theater school uh, wow. in the country, maybe some ones in Canada, maybe some of the British ones. But I auditioned at like 20 different schools. And I was just like, I didn't know how good I was at it or, or anything. So I, wow. I got waitlisted at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, I blew my Juilliard audition immediately. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then I got into North Carolina School of the Arts. But there was kind of a, a part of it where I just kind of stopped pretending to be anybody but myself, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's what, that's what got me into the school. And then it was, that was the first place that I really kind of learned what the craft of this is is like you can be on set and you can make stuff up and like i can't come from an improv background but that was the first place that i learned what the actual work of it was when you got to winston-salem and you got your first krispy kreme hot and now donut um what was that experience like it wasn't that it was the in and out that i got that was what changed my life really burger with like oh yeah with the uh, the watermelon shakes I think that was the, you mean cookout, like, not in and out. Cookout, yeah. yeah excuse me. Yeah, cookout. Yeah, yeah. So cookout, say, cookout yeah, will we, do that. Too, cookout yeah. is our in and out. In and out's West Coast. Cookout is our our deal over here exactly. uh, on the East Coast. And you like that more than the Krispy Kreme? That like that's a wow. North Carolina. I love the Krispy Kreme hot now. Like that's. But I like cookout too. What, now, what is the Krispy Kreme hot now? I don't. I'm not a big donut guy. Okay, wow. so the Krispy Kreme's entire thing is their regular donuts are fine, but they have a conveyor belt where they make the donuts in a house. And there's a glaze waterfall and it literally the hot fried donut oh goes God. under the glaze and then they pull it off the belt and the, the donut literally melts in your mouth. Like if you try to pick it up, it kind of like gives yeah. you could. And they have a sign on the outside and when right. it's glowing red and it says hot now. That's when you know, that's when you know if the, if the, if the, if the, the hot now sign's not glowing, you it's can't trash. get them fresh trash. You, and Don't you can go. only get them hot now like three times a day. And so when you get okay. it, what are the hours? Do they are the hours pretty regular for the hot nuts? No. We, you never know. You never know. <laughs> or you just do you have like a live cam on a crispy dude when, to see when that when the hot nuts when that in. light is on like the lines wrapped yeah. around the block. It's wild. It's wild. Oh wow, it's, it's wild. great. Well, you got to. That's what I remember. Like in and out or cookout. Crispy cream had those lines around the block. Yeah. I yeah. Think, when they first opened, anyway, right? Yeah. Is yeah, yeah. that from the hot nuts? Yeah, the hot now the is, hot now is, is what, what people care about. But cookout's great. Cookout I, is I wonderful. Because cookout, yeah, cookout yeah. you can get a, uh, so much food for so cheap. Oh, you feel yeah. like you're like you're, oh, yeah. you're doing something illegal, which yeah. you might you be. The hush puppies. But the thing that I loved about cookout were the July and August, they had the watermelon yeah. milkshakes. Yeah, and then the they also do a, a, cook, a chocolate chip cookie dough milkshake only seasonal as well. Mm -hmm. It's really good. But the watermelon part. milkshake is a very distinct part of the south like that's like only i've never seen that anywhere else but here no 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 but it should it's something that the south should export to everywhere else as well. <laughs> now your southern experience might have been a little bit different because you went to an art school but was there some sort of culture shock at all going from seattle to north carolina uh yeah i, I think it was the first time that i'd seen uh it was the first time that i'd seen segregation I think yep. um, it was the first time that I'd seen um, institutionalized racism rather than the kind of the, I mean, and that exists in Seattle, but it's just very different. Yeah. Um, the, uh, it was the first time that I'd seen some of the things that I've been reading about in books. Mm. Yeah. The, the, the difference, and this is purely historical, like that was built in Seattle. It was in the soil in, in the Carolinas. You know what I mean? So it is, it's, it's yeah, very, yeah. that's just different. So what's your yeah, first, exactly. Your first like 
either first paying gig or if if not paying gig, your first memorable you know acting gig as what you would consider a professional actor where you thought, okay, I, I'm an actor. Like I can I can do this for a living. I booked my first job 30 days out of school. Wow. So it was a uh, it was a lead in a uh, a pilot for Lifetime called The Hunters. And we were like a, a super secret family of spies that Ooh. were um, that were going after people. Kelly Lynch played my mom. Uh, Callum Keith Rennie played my dad. It was that, that was the first time that I felt like I was like, oh wow, I can actually do this, and people are actually going to hire me. Fantastic. Did you have? Were you doing? Like, did you do the classic actor thing where you were like bartending to make ends meet at any point or were you just straight actor? Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause right after the hunters happened, I was like, I was convinced I was going to be famous. Yeah. So I went out and bought a bunch of furniture as you do. <laughs> yeah. Like first time to give a 24 year old, a bunch of money, you're just going to spend it all. That's on right. Booze. And, and yeah. I was like, I think I bought a Noguchi table. I was like, <laughs> Clearly I've, I've made it. You've arrived it, guys. You've arrived. Do you see my, my triangular glass table. I've made it. <laughs> So I, uh, and then I didn't work for like a year and a half and That'll I became get you. a waiter with a, with a very nice table. Were you, uh, <laughs> where, where were you waiting? Is it a place we would have heard of? Like, is it like a, no, no, I was waiting tables at this place called Northwest, which was on 79th and Columbus that I think was a front for mob money. Fair enough. Um, and, uh, it was, uh, I think the, the first day I got there, I was trailing this guy from New Zealand. It was this beautiful day on the Upper West Side. It's right across from the, the Natural History Museum. We were sitting up outside and we were watching everybody kind of going by. And this guy was maybe the bitterest person I'd ever met in my life. <laughs> and, you know, like people from New Zealand are what Canadians are to us. That's right. New Zealand's are to, to, uh, people from Australia. So th this guy was the bitterest person I'd ever met kind of piqued my curiosity a little bit. And then I saw it was actually this place that was making it that better. <laughs> so we were sitting, we were outside watching everybody go by and this woman comes by with her little dog and the dog pees on the partition. It's this beautiful day in August. Everybody's sitting out on the sidewalk, dog pees on the partition. And the guy starts cursing at her. He's like, how, why did you let your dog do that? How in the hell could you let your do, dog do that? And she's like, I'm sorry, he has a weak bladder. And she walks away. <laughs> so he goes downstairs. And he gets like a little bucket of uh, stuff to clean it up. And he kind of splashes the water. Now, somebody has told the chef downstairs, this guy named Pep. And Pep comes yep. up with this like slopping blue bucket and like tosses it over the area of pee and makes a far bigger mess than was there to begin with. <laughs> and so the New Zealand waiter starts to yell at him. He's like, why the hell did you do that, Pep? Nobody asked you to do that. Why did you do that? Nobody asked you to do that. Pep locks eyes with me and says... Nobody asked me to kill kids in Lebanon in 1982 oh, 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 ever. <laughs> <laughs> and then, without another word, goes back inside and goes downstairs back into like his little spider hole. And he was like, oh, wow. Okay, Did, this is where I'm working. Pep turn around and just go, shh, when he's walked down the stairs? <laughs> right, right. Dear gracious. Right. Now, the, now, the weird thing was, I don't think Pep was old enough to kill kids in Lebanon in 1982. He was like a solid 10 years too young for that. Yeah, but, but I mean, that whole place was Looney Tunes. There was a guy that would come in with call girls all the time and like to sit down and have steak dinners. And these be these like girls kind of boredly picking at a salad and I'd be sitting there and he'd go, oh, deal, you're a, you're a gentleman of the theater. What should Svetlana and I see this evening? And like, uh, I don't know. Maybe the Lion King. And he started this, oh man, he started this, uh, this club because it was like right during the Iraq war. And he was like, everybody that came into this place would think that like, that the Iraq war was going really, really well. And they just needed to start a club that was going to tell people that it was going really well. And that Bush was getting a hard time. So this guy who started this, he had like a trust fund that his mom would give him money, but he was like solidly like 49 years old. And he looked a little bit like Pavarotti. And so he started this club for all of his buddies that would come in. One of the guys looked, was a dead ringer for John Bolton. And they'd sit there and they go like, Oh, you know, this war is going much better than people give it credit for. But eventually he was spending so much money. And I think his mom told him that he had to end his club at 49 years old. So he told his buddies and they got in a silverware fight with each other no. in the middle of the restaurant. The guy gets banned for life. And so one day I'm back out watching the street, greeting people saying, oh, check out our wine list. 
and I see the guy wearing a neck brace on crutches sort of going by on the opposite side of the street, hoping that we'll see him and invite him back in and end his, uh, his Good for life. gracious. Yeah. What? Wow. I just want to hear just stories yeah. from Northwest is what uh, I want to hear. You, need to, uh, you should have just kept that job like one day a I week mean, but just let, for the stories. Let me ask you this. I need to oh, know where, where Pep is now. Yeah, I need to know about Pep <laughs> for sure. I need to know how much of Pep you use in some of your roles. Like is that Sad Boy Prince? Was that a little Pep in there? Sad Boy Prince, I think, was mostly Peter O'Toole and Hugh Grant. <laughs> yeah, of um, course, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and a little pep. There's it was a, a lot of Hugh Grant. I, in fact, I think I may have mentioned that in the podcast that it that had yeah, a Hugh yeah. Grant flair to it. Um, that how long you said you had that job for a year and a half? Was there any point where you were like, I'm not getting another job ever again? I got to sell no, my cool no, no, table. No, no. I actually, nope. I had that job for maybe six months. Oh, okay. Oh, I like, thought you said it, a year it was and half. just. Okay. It was. It was. It, it was a terrible suffocating in the universe and I needed to remove myself from its orbit. So after that, I was, uh, I was doing, um, catering work and I always thought like the thing about catering work is you could, uh, you could just, you could essentially walk out at the end of the night with a lot of liquor bottles and champagne that like, it was like, Oh, I guess these things were drunk. And that would, that would pay you a little bit more and the hours were more flexible. And then I started working for this company, I think called Poshability or maybe model bartenders or something like that. And I was like, it was me as an actor. And I, I had never modeled before until I did that Tiffany's ad. But it was me with a bunch of like out of work models, like serving drinks at parties <laughs> in New York City. It was a very strange life. And I think one of my gigs, I was just a handsome couple at the opening of a, of the W Hotel in in. Hoboken or something. It was it was a very very very. Strange. You you ha have a list of jobs here that sound like Stefan from SNL <laughs> on a skit. Like that's what it sounds yes, like. Basically, yeah, that's exactly. Cool. So did New you, York's hottest club right. is, is North Bartender. <laughs> New York's hottest club is Northwest. There's Pep. Yeah. You're kids. gonna love Pep. It's Pep. <laughs> There's a, there's a surly peewee outside. <laughs> he killed kids in Lebanon before he was alive. <laughs> <laughs> he killed kids out of the womb. Oh, my God. Um, You're just going to yes. take all of it out. Oh, just take the whole thing. Uh, uh, so have you been stationed in New York ever since? Are you a New York boy now? That's what you are? Uh, yeah, I was, I've been in and, in and out. I was, um, I was in California for... Uh, I think I moved there in 2013, convinced I could go get my own action figure. Um, <laughs> and uh, then I, yeah, it was weird, man. Like I, so I, I told you I booked that pilot, right? And yeah. that kind of, that is like the golden ring that all these actors are trying to tr chase. You know, yeah. it's like your agents are telling you, you've got to book this pilot. Because as soon as you book a pilot like that, you're on the list for every other network and everybody's trying to get you in for pilot stuff. And suddenly you go from the guy that's like going to play banker number two who's being arrested <laughs> saying, call my lawyer. You go to like the lead of the show and like, you know, Detective Handsome Pants or whatever yeah. it is. And so, but the thing was, is so I kept booking pilots, kept booking pilots, and I was kind of convinced that, you know, as soon as I book a pilot that goes to series, then I'll be George Clooney, and then I'll go do whatever movies I want to do, right? But I had, I still wanted to write a bunch, and finally that happened. I finally booked the pilot, and I realized how much I actually didn't like the process of shooting a network show. Okay. I was like, I, I loved the money, I loved, but what I really loved was the research. And it was the show about cops, and I got to, um, the, you know, when they, you've heard of a ride along, right? Mm hmm. Of course. So they take you on a ride. I saw the movie with uh, the Ice Cube. Ice Cube, Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm aware. That, it kind of feels like you're on a bit of a safari, right? You get these cops that are telling you to keep your hands and your legs inside the vehicle at all times, but they're trying to show you this kind of, they're trying to show you kind of a, a very curated version of what police work looks like. So I gave myself permission to just ask any idiotic question I could. And finally, I got this one detective who said, look, if you really want to know what it's like, I will take you out on a case, but you can't tell your producers. And he was this guy, he was, like, he was maybe like a year or two from retirement. He was a first grade detective in the NYPD. And so he takes me on a case and he's working on a cold case up in the Bronx. And he takes me to, to, uh, to, uh, to interview this woman that had witnessed a murder like 25 years ago. And I was seeing the way that he was 
interacting with his partner crossing the street or like in the Dominican chicken joint. There was some, there were like fascinating parts about it that when it came time to make that show, we weren't doing right. We were just kind of doing like, there's a thin line between law and order, you know, and it was just, it was kind of boring. Right. I loved making a show, but like what we were actually telling was kind of boring. So the show gets canceled and I was like, what do I want to do? And I had enough money in my bank account for the first time that I didn't have to go get other jobs. And I was, and I said to myself, all right, I'm going to give myself permission to be an artist this year. And I went and did two, uh, three plays in rep at the Mark Carter Theater in Jersey. I wrote and directed my first short. I did this art project in Switzerland and I started writing for Sports Illustrated. And I wow. like uh, I wrote uh, I wrote this essay that was going to show up on uh, on Facebook. And I was like, I think I was buying booze in a Costco parking lot with my buddy. And I, I was like, hey, can I read this to you? And I read him this this essay about uh, the futility of, of, of belief in sports, but why that lie is beautiful. And he was like, that's great, man. What are you going to do with it? I was like, I don't know. I'll put it on Facebook. And he was like, you're dumb. Like, just send that in to ESPN or Sports Illustrated. And so I, I did, cleaned it up. I heard back in two hours and I started writing for Sports Illustrated. Wow. And I had no that idea. Was, yeah. Yeah. I actually quit acting full time in 2015 for a year to uh, to try out for the uh, the L.A. Kiss, which was an arena team owned by the band Kiss. And I like I just wanted to kind of explore some other things. Arena football? What yeah, what pos- what position? Wide receiver. Really? It, yeah, was, six years was, ago? It was thirty five. Yeah. I was about to say and you, like, never, you never you never played football before. I never played football before in my life. Based upon IMDb, you're a year older than me, Neil. And you tried out in 2015. <laughs> I would have broken down at 2015. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Uh, I tried out for yeah. I tried out for him. Uh, I ended up spending a lot of time with him. I I wasn't good enough to make the team. I mean, spoiler alert, but. <laughs> Part of it was I was I was fascinated by these guys that were like 26 and were these guys are like they're told that they can't do the thing that they love at yeah. 26 years. And I was like seeing all these people in L.A. that were doing that same thing. And yet these guys are like grinding and like they're working Uber shifts between practices and things like like just sustaining this dream one more mm-hmm. day. And I was like. But you've got, I mean, you've got a hard out at 26. You're done. Yeah. Right? You're like, you're not going to make it back to the NFL. Yep. And there was something about the the delusion of belief in themselves, that they were all going to be Kurt Warner, yeah. that felt very akin to like everybody that I was like, because every actor I know is put, is kicking, you know, moving the goalposts. That's right. But it's like, well, mm-hmm. Paul Newman didn't make it until he was 30, until you get to like James Cromwell, where you're like, ah, you know, James Cromwell didn't make it until like 60 yeah. and that becomes the, that was kind of the i don't know that was the um so the that was that what your essay was about because it just seems like there's a clear correlation like was that the essay that you sent to sports no. illustrated no 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 the uh, the essay that i wrote for sports illustrated was this um it was about the seahawks and i grew up a seahawks fan we it was a year we went to the super bowl and it was about how your life isn't really going to change no matter what happens <laughs> on the Monday at following Super Bowl Sunday. There's this illusion that your life is going to be made that much better. And it's just a lie. It's dumb, right? But it's that communal belief in that betterment. That is what sports is. You know, it is, it's the bread and surfaces effect. I think there's like, I was just watching, um, have you guys seen the movie hand of God? Yeah. The sort of, you know, movie. Yeah. So there's that moment, right? Where yeah. Maradona scores and the literally all of Naples is like cheering. And that is sports. Yes. <clears throat> I mean, there are very few things that can kind of unite us like that. Enjoy the way that sports. I just want to be best friends with Neil Bledsoe. Can I say that right now? Like, like <laughs> hi- history, sports, this guy, he's so, speaking my love language. So the right LA now. kiss. Yeah. There's <laughs> an arena. <laughs> foot. I just, we, well, we yeah. have gone far. Yeah. Field yeah, you just Walmart talked about like foreign film and history and brand just doesn't care. So kiss <laughs> the but rock I'm and roll, kiss the rock and roll band as an arena. In, in 20, what, wait, when, did they, when did they start? Because the, I remember this happening vaguely. They, the LA kiss, they started. Um, so the arena, just a quick history lesson about the thank, arena. Please do. Thank you. Since, <laughs> it's been around in some way, shape or form since 1987. Wow. Um, they went dark for one year, but in every year, <laughs> it's now gone. Dark. Where'd they go? Kiss went dark. That's <laughs> classic kiss. 
<laughs> it was the uh, it was the recession actually, and they couldn't oh. pay their players anymore. Oh god! Um, so they went dark in one year in two thousand nine, and uh, I think it was two thousand eight or two thousand nine, and the and the salaries plummeted from like eighty thousand dollars a year to play football to uh, like two hundred dollars a game, and so Kiss came back in and they kind of saw this opportunity, I think, to to reinvent their to reinvent their brand um, to piggyback on something else. I mean, and they're like. Look, Kiss will say this themselves. It's like they're they're kind of musicians second, and they're branding brill- superstars first, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you look at the lunch boxes, the pinball games, and they were doing that with the LA Kiss. So I think that <laughs> started like us, in yeah. 20, 2013, 2012. and they like came out with a reality show on AMC. They thought that they were going to reinvent football, and so they wanted to have these like rock concert like atmospheres yeah. that were happening in the middle of these arena games. But the the audience for arena is pretty similar, I think, to a lot of Hallmark. It's very family friendly, right? And so a lot of the people that were coming to these games didn't really react well to the strippers being descended <laughs> on the poles from the top of the Honda Center, um, which was you know just odd. Mm. Um, so they in the year I actually spent with them, Kiss uh, Kiss blew the whole team up, and they're like they they played their one and only playoff game. In uh, in a because they lost the Honda Center to the circus, they had to play their one and only playoff game that they lost down in San Diego. And then Kiss ended the team by telling all the people on a Facebook message that the team was going to go defunct. And then they came out with their next product, which I thought was brilliant. It was Kiss branded air guitar strings. Yeah, five ninety nine. You got a paper label and an empty plastic bag. And it was just like. Well, that's that is that is kiss. That's that how you is, know that is kiss. Man. I just watched the uh, the Kurt Warner film, and the best part of it for me was the arena football stuff because it was so fascinating. Oh, and yeah. the best part is when he scores his first touchdown in arena football, and he goes over and his coach hands him a hundred dollar bill. He's like, I get paid per touchdown. And he's like, Yeah, you didn't read your contract. And so then he went out and he proceeded to come out. I've not seen this film. The coach in the game in hands, the game. That's the dumbest thing. There's no way that actually happened. He, he did I, get. Yeah. Yeah. I'm out. I don't think that I actually spoken to Kurt Warner. I don't think that happened. I don't think it happened um, like that, but there, but no. he did, he did get, uh, some liberties were taken. He did get bonuses liberties. for, for, for the amount of touchdowns yeah, that, he that threw. Checks but he wasn't handing a hundred dollar bills in the middle no, of the game. No, 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 no. But yeah, let me put that in my pocket. I'll buy you something nice. Go talk to Pep downstairs. <laughs> exactly. It's just like, he's like a guy in a meat coat. It's like, Hey, go buy your wife something nice. huh? Score those touchdowns. My, you guys know, um, uh, Todd Marinovich. You do not. I do. No. I don't know who Todd is Marinovich. Todd Marinovich was like the quarterback a, of his generation. His okay. dad was like, uh, he was supposed to be the golden boy. He was like left-handed. His dad was a strength coach for the Raiders. He still holds, I think the, the record for most touchdowns in the game for the arena league. It was like 10 touchdowns or 12 or something like that while he was suffering through heroin withdrawals. Yeah. And like yeah. it was that kind of league. So like, yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that somebody's handing $100 bills is Oh, you want to give me Thomas. money for the touchdowns? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Exactly. Turns out it wasn't for touchdowns. <laughs> so let me ask you this. My, all right. Going, going back real quick, though, my favorite thing, because you, you wanted to give me the title to my memoir. Yeah. Gene Simmons already gave it to me, which is when he met me, he said, well, you're a very attractive man of great sexual power. And I was like, just flabbergasted. Was like, Thanks, Gene. If Gene says it, it must be true. Um, it is true. Yeah. That guy. So that guy. You can't trust him. <laughs> Did he know you were Canadian, no. though? If he had known that, maybe there would have <laughs> um, changed everything. Uh, let me. I ask everybody that comes on our show this, and I feel like you might have a good one, or or maybe you know you always crushed your auditions. But my my question is, uh, you know, most, every actor we have on here says, look, we go on hundreds of these auditions. All you know, you're hopeful, hopeful to land one out of a hundred. Do you have a memorably bad audition, like an all oh God, yeah. an oh, all yeah. timer, oh. just like I've I got an all timer? Yeah, absolutely. Walk absolutely. out the door and just totally. be like, what what just happened? I mean, there are the there are the countless tests that I've walked into where you're supposed to be doing a comedy test, and every Fox executive is just stone faced, like you've <laughs> like you've just actively depressed the room. There's that. There's the uh, there's the fights that I, I've got two. I'll give you two. So one of them was because the one the one kind of pissed me off a little bit because I was actually on Law and Order SVU at the time, 
and I was playing a detective. I was I was detective CSU detective Clifton Montgomery. Yeah, and you were. Like, yeah. It was a paycheck job. I'd come in and go, hey, okay, the guy was killed over there. I got some land on it, blah, blah, blah. See you next week. Just make sure the check clears. It was that kind of job, right? So Chris Maloney was leaving the show that at the end of that year. Oh, and they boy. They called me in to be his replacement. Wow. For an audition, and I was going to meet the producers, and I called my agents. And I was like, "Well, they know I've been on the show, right?" My agents like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. They know. They know. They've prepped them, but you weren't in a lot, and they figured they can kind of make this work." So I was like, "All right. Well, I guess it's just going to be a continuation of my character." And I come in, and uh, I I do my audition, and it's like I, I think the guy is kind of like Edmund Exley from L.A. Confidential. Like he uses okay. his brain more than his brawn, right? It's like the opposite of Chris Maloney. So I yes. go in and I do that, and uh, I I can see the producer is like visibly upset by my audition. He keeps doing like this. Ah, ah, ah. And finally, I get done, and he's like, he's like, ah, Neil, um. Uh, have you ever played a cop before? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I'm, I'm like, yes. Uh, internally, I'm like boiling, and I say, yes, on your show. Mm. And it changes the whole temperature of the room. And the he looks to the casting director. He's like, well, well, no, it was just for no, 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 no. I stop, and I'm like, no, it was for three episodes. And you guys kept calling me back in for more, and I had to go do something else. Ah. Uh, Want me to do it again? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, Which boy. Different. I, I mean, I was going to say maybe like, you know, tough enough, but I actually love what you did. It's like, okay, so just stronger, faster, better than before. Yeah. Okay, I go in and then I do my second scene and the producer says, now I recognize you. And I'm like, thanks very much. Good yep. luck with the process. Yeah, uh, we'll see you guys. We'll see. We will never yeah. see you again ever, ever, ever. Yes. Yeah. And, and then the other, the, go ahead. Well, so then the other one was I walk into this uh, I walk into this theater audition and I couldn't wrap my my mind around it. It was this a Broadway play with David Hyde Pierce, and the whole thing felt like a Frank Capra movie. It was like this character was kind of like, well, well, I like a woman that you that meet, you settle down, and you have kids. Am I right or am I right? Well, sure, I'm right. It was very like <laughs> yeah. earnest, yeah. And I just couldn't get Jimmy Stewart's voice out of my head. Oh no! So I walk in and I like see the the director, oh, and no. the casting director the reader and I walk in and I'm the last person of the day. I'm like, okay guys, so I made a choice. <laughs> kind of a big choice. <laughs> if I've chosen something bad, just tell me and I'll choose something different. So I get in and I'm like, what? Well, I, 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 I like a woman that you meet. Settle down, you have kids. Am I right or am I right? I'm sure I'm right. I get done. I think for sure the director's gonna stop me. I get done. He just like looks at me through his glasses and like, hmm. Jimmy Stewart, huh? And I was like, yeah, I couldn't get that voice out of my head. And he and the whole room laughed. I'm like, oh, I've made friends with everybody. They're going to have, I'm, I've got this job in my back pocket. And he says, thank you. And I look <laughs> like I'm on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I look down the line to the casting director. I'm like, well, you know, I got to use my lifeline here. She's like, thank you. And I look to the reader who goes like, <laughs> and I do my second impression of the day, which is Axl Rose crab walking out of the room. <laughs> So those were my. Did you at Christmas Con? Did you meet Christopher Palaha by any chance? I did. Yeah. Yeah. He figured out that I'm taller than Christopher Palaha. Yeah, you guys are. It's very close. Uh, and I and uh, Chris, he has this. He's been in so many Hallmark movies that he likes to wrinkle the page quite a bit. Like he tries. His goal is to put something on camera for two days that they can't afford to take back. And he did a movie where he does a where he does a Jimmy Stewart impression as the lead character for the whole movie. Um, and in in a Hallmark movie uh, called uh, oh my God. Small 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 Town Christmas. Town Christmas. It's a subtle Jimmy. It's it not, is. Yeah. It's not full. It's not full to ten, but it's like a four or five Jimmy. And it is a clear. But he, he tells the story of his director. He would do a scene, and his director would like do a little do dial, a little dial, like, dial, back. dial it now just yeah. a smidge, just that's a right. smidgeless Jimmy. Um, but yeah, but, if you watch it and you know that. But what I was thinking is, is that that's the only network that I know of that would that would welcome a Jimmy Stewart impression. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like Hallmark's yeah. like, sure, go for it. Everybody else is like, what are you doing? <laughs> Don't you do it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Dear God, no. Yeah. Now, Dan was saying uh, before we started here uh, that you remind oh, him of I, Army Hammer. I looked at your IMDb picture and one, yeah. your IMDb picture looks like you're glancing off to the side like you know some secret that's going to change the world forever. 
Um, which is totally on brand. Which is very on brand. I but mean, have also, you heard about Pep? Yeah, Pep, yeah Pep, <laughs> he's thinking about Pep here. Is what yeah. he's doing. Oh, 100%. He's like, that son of a gun. Uh, no, wait, wait, show me the picture. Which one is it? it uh, I don't know I if you'll be able to see it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah, the yeah. interior of my book jacket. Yeah, you got a little red. Little, oh, there it is uh, right there. Yeah, he's yeah, got yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, he's off to the side, and he's like, man, I know something that if I told people, you know, crap would hit the fan yeah. for sure. Uh, but also, you have a resemblance here to Army Hammer, which is a little disconcerting. Have you ever tried to eat someone? <laughs> Not to my knowledge. Okay. All right. Good. Um, as I told you at the break, the um, Burning Man was kind of a strange time. Yeah, so. as, as, it, um, as you would imagine. Yep. I uh, No, I've never tried to eat anyone. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, I lost a job to Army Hammer. Though, okay. Like when I was first starting out. And uh, I was on this, it was on the show for the CW about models playing a Russian mobster, <laughs> which is another story entirely. Yeah, that Even sounds that authentic. Sound like, let's pull that thread. Yeah, exactly. Let's find the waspiest person we can. And, um, and I had... Uh, I had lost a job maybe six months before that playing a Spanish royal on Gossip Girl that yeah. went finally went to Army Hammer and it was like uh, and so I was complaining about it to a producer after this show about models got canceled and he was like do you know who that is Army Hammer Armand Hammer and it was like he was trying to lift back the veil to show me that like. Nothing is by chance here. Like, he was doing the side eye. Kind of like, I know secrets that you don't even yeah. want to know. You don't even know now, about he Armand. He it wrong, though, because he was like, oh, no, it's it's Armand Hammer. Because he was like, Armand Hammer. <laughs> Armand Hammer. He was like murder bordering the whole thing about Army There's Hammer. There's yarn. That's yeah. right. Yeah, Strings exactly. everywhere. <clears throat> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. Little did he know. So how do we get to Hallmark? Like how do we get Oh, really quickly before Hallmark, I just want to bring up a quick short that I see on your IMDb, which is The Walkin' Dead, which is <laughs> um a short apparently. It's it's not The Walking Dead, it's The Walkin' Dead. Is The Walkin' Dead? What is this? <laughs> so, uh, what happens is that uh <laughs> Everybody is, is bitten with this need to do a, an impression of Christopher Walken, and that's what happens. It's uh, <laughs> some buddies of mine at, uh, at Boyk Pack that uh, did a spoof when the, I think The Walking Dead first started. Really? And that's really the yeah, plot. That's really the plot of the. That's the it's well, it's a very it's a sketch. So it's yeah. not a it's not a short film. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, fantastic. And you got to yeah. be do the Walken impression in it, I assume. Yeah, I, which I think was the first thing that really endeared my father and my brother to my choice of careers. When I could do a, a Christopher Walken impression on my on my trips home for Christmas. That's, like, All right, yeah. I guess he actually uh, he walked into the Walking Dead shoot and he said, "Guys, I've made a choice. I've made a choice here. <laughs> Jimmy, St Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart, Stewart doing Stewart. Walken. It's, so uh, well, wow." <laughs> Two, two mice. <laughs> <laughs> well, now he gives up. He drowns. Hey, it works better. It works better than you might have thought. That is like just a, bl a blender of, of accent wow. that I just don't know if I want to hear again. My God. That's fantastic. Do you uh, get ready for next year's Christmas? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Chris Pilar, I can do Jimmy Stewart. Huh? In a winter wonderland. <laughs> There it is. There's there the title. Is. So you've been on a lot of TV shows, one, two, three um, episodes uh, in series. What is your most, well, how about this? I, everybody always says every cast and crew they work for is the best ever. We're like a family. It's so wonderful. And we all know that that's not true. People are just being nice so they'll get more jobs in Hollywood, and that's fine. My, my question is, what, which of these cast and crews was legitimately the best that you worked for? Like of all these TV shows you got to be a part of for one, three, four, five, six episodes, which of them did you go on the set and you're like, man, these people are just above and beyond? Guys, I'm here to burn bridges. So That's what I'm talking about. Oh, tell me, me the worst then. Tell me the worst um, one. Then. No, the, the best... <laughs> you know, I, there, I, I have two things that really kind of stand out in my mind. One is when I got hired on Ugly Betty, um, Judith Light called me before I even showed up. She was playing my mom on the show. And she called me... Uh, a few days before we shot our first scene and, and we had a conversation for like 90 minutes about what it was, you know, we just talked and got to know each other and it was so gracious and it was something like that nobody else really does because being a guest on <clears throat> a lot of these shows is like, 
you're showing up, nobody really cares who you are. They want you to hit your mark. I think Chris Maloney, the first time I, I looked at him said like, you know your lines? You know where your mark is? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. And, and like a lot of shows have that kind of reputation, right? And I don't think Chris is a bad guy, just like he's been talking about like murder for the last 17 years and, and wanted to like know he was gonna go home on time. So it's like these shows kind of like, people can allow themselves to get a bit petty on these things. So when you run into somebody like Judith, who's gonna be, who's so gracious, who's so welcoming, and that really sets a tone for everybody else. And then the second one was there on every shameless script, there's a little asterisk that says per set policy, uh, there are no sides provided on shameless. Please come prepared and know all of your lines. And that was from Bill Macy. So That's fantastic. That kind of like those two things sets the tone yeah. for everybody. When William H. Macy at the top is doing that. That's fantastic. That's really yeah, good leadership. Cause I, right. Because these things, like especially if you're shooting in a foreign location or something like that, these things can feel like you're in some Joseph Conrad experience <laughs> with Mr. Kurtz at the end of the Congo. You know, yeah. it's like they can turn weird and dark really quick. For and sure. Then I, I, and then no BS. I mean, the, the film we just shot with Danica, I think, was was another example of that because the number one really sets the tone for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, you ha do have a movie coming out this week and it's not your first movie with Danica. Uh, no. You did one a few years back. Was that one, mm -hmm. uh, that Christmas movie 2017, was that your first Hallmark? That was my first Hallmark. How did and, uh, yeah. that end up coming to be? Uh, I was doing a play. Uh, I, I needed money. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, they approached me and like, usually I, I had said no, because I think there's, you know, there's like a, there's an idea about what made for TV seasonal movies are right. Yeah. There's, and there's kind of an idea and there's a prejudice that exists in the acting community, but it was the first time that I had read one of those scripts that actually had conflict in it. Because as I'm sure you guys can attest, a lot of these things are so formulaic that there's not a lot of internal conflict and there's not a lot of stuff that, that characters have to kind of get over. And that can be pleasing and that can be like a that can be like a nice palliative, but I wanted something that had a little bit of conflict in it. And so when I read Coming Over Christmas, I was like, yeah, okay, I can play this guy. And then of course, the director wanted me to just smile more when I got to set. And I was of like, course. I am playing the stick in the mud. You have to let me, just please, please <laughs> let me just play this part. And uh, luckily I had Danica there to serve as my interpreter uh, between me and the director. But it was, it was fun. And, uh, you know, I think the thing that I really love about these films is that you can, you can go to work and play, you know, and especially being like a number one or number two on these movies, you can go and like, you can be as creative as you want to be because a lot, you know, you can do what Christopher Blah is doing, which is like, I'm going to do a, a subtle Jimmy Stewart impression throughout this because you can kind of experiment. You can get away with stuff that you might not be able to if you were shooting, you know, like a Marvel movie or something like that. And then in 2020, did the Christmas juggernaut that is the Christmas carousel. And, you, and I will right. say. You got that script and you just wrote sad boy sad at the back of it. You're like, over. this is my. I, just, I, can... I, I want to paint this picture for you. <laughs> we, we do these um, preview episodes before each season of movies and talk about the movies, read the synopsis, say what we think we're going to think of the movie. Dan hates it. I love it. It's dumb. And, We're uh, previewing Hallmark movies. Yeah, it's the, the way God intended like. it. And we get to um, the second week in December, second week, and it is a, a Christmas movie about a carousel. Um, and I, I say the title's A Christmas Carousel, and then I look down, and it's not A Christmas Carousel. It's a... Uh, um, Christmas Comes Twice? Christmas or? Comes Twice. Yeah. And I was like, gosh, I could have sworn that it was a Christmas carousel. And I get to the next weekend and I realize that Hallmark has made, two. has made two Christmas carousel movies and they're playing them back to back weekends. Didn't see it coming. Yeah. It was the year of the carousel. It was the year of the carousel. And then we, we, get, we get to your carousel movie and we see you do Sad Boy Prince. We're all watching it together, I believe. Are we all watching it We're together? We're all watching it together. And we see this guy, I mean, who just looks like <laughs> Droopy the dog in like a royal outfit. <laughs> On the carousel, and we no. re we rewound it. We literally rewound it. We couldn't stop laughing. Oh my god! It was one of my favorite moments on the show ever. It was fantastic. Oh, yeah. oh totally. I in a rented Prince costume, nonetheless, right. from, that I think they had stolen from a Gilbert and Sullivan production in, in Vancouver. Um, feeling very much uh, like a modern major general. Uh, I what did I think when I first read it? I was like. 
You know what I thought? I thought you want me to play a British prince in this because yeah. the pandemic says that you can't go to Romania to shoot this. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Why not? I was like, and because like, look, part of being an American actor too, is you see all the time, you see British actors coming over here and doing American accents with varying degrees of success. Right? Correct. So <laughs> the, the chance to actually like do the reverse, I was like, yeah, this sounds fantastic. And I think that Every other one of the Prince movies that I'd seen on Hallmark, there's like a trope to these Prince movies, right? Which is like the royal is sort of like, oh, I never knew I could feel feelings before. <laughs> My God, Elizabeth, are you kidding me? Is this, is this what happiness is? Is this love? And it's like, it, it's so pat and kind of boring. You're like, Dad, I just want to paint. I just want to I just, I just paint carousels. Is right, that too right. much so to ask? I wanted to, do, I wanted to do something completely different. I wanted to do like... Uh, I don't know. I wanted to do like a, a, a prince that was just having fun all the time. That was trying to make his life about fun. Um, and, and yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think some people really hated it and some people liked it. <laughs> I did. I thought you were British. I legit, yep. it, it was akin to when I, when the show house came on Fox and you, Laurie was house and I was, you know, 21 or two years old. And I was like, man, that guy's a good actor. And I looked him up and I was like, Oh, he's that guy from faulty towers. What just happened? Oh, he's yeah. British. Like I thought not to that level. Cause you know, he's Hugh Laurie, but like, I thought you were British. <laughs> like I, I honestly was like, the guy's <laughs> one what, day. what British guy did they get to, to do this? So, you know, that's impressive that you were actually a Canadian. And then you were doing a British accent at Christmas con and people, uh, People yeah. were walking around me like Neil's actually British. Neil's really Neil's yeah, really British. Right, right, right. If you can believe it. I decided to for those who didn't come. I, I decided to do the entire last day at Christmas Con in character. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> May as well, which so, is a great decision. Absolutely. Tell us, we got to get the rapid fire, yes. but tell us about uh, the new one with Danica. <laughs> give us a give us a once over on it real quick. All right, so in this one, I'm not a British prince that likes to paint, but a Man. British prince that likes. Sculpt and uh, it's it's a fast departure for me. Uh, no, we you're are. A, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying a, it. You're in a. You're in a. Hey, just go with me on this, Bran. All okay, right. Okay. Okay. Listen, the, it's the painting. I can see sculpting. It's I the don't know, it's buddy. the crown tilt a whirl, and he's he's got a he's got a sculpt all the tilt a whirls. Yes, we're from a royal family of carnies. And at the end, he's swinging around all sad. He's like, mm. um, we are. Uh, so Danica is the. Uh, is a novelist who uh, who wants to find some space to write her next book, and she ends up uh, taking a, a time a, a caretaking job at a at a big house in Colorado that belongs to this mysterious family in Europe. Uh, she's assured that this family never shows up. We do show up with my entourage a week before I'm supposed to be come king and all hell breaks loose and I start to order her around and ask for things like tea and crumpets. How dare you? And uh, yeah, we fall in love. I sculpt. It's great. You'll laugh. You'll cry. Man. Now, what a reach. What a reach. Now you went full method for this. You followed around I a did. sculptor in Italy, from what I understand, for a full year. Yes. Uh, well, uh, so I... So sculpt a Giacomo lot. is his name. Giacomo, I, uh, yeah. I, Giacomo, <laughs> I went to a small town in Umbria and learned how to sculpt owls uh, in the traditional American way. But not only that, I also married into an obscure Romanian <laughs> royal family. Uh, and I was there for about five years. It's funny, actually. I was kind of mid, I was mid transition while we were shooting Christmas Carousel, which was while I was a bit sad because I was missing my family back in Romania. You know, but uh, I, I did go full method. I've heard from numerous people, but it's kind of under the radar. Neil Bledsoe is the Daniel Day Lewis of Canadian anchor babies. Yeah. I heard that. And that's, <laughs> it turns out that that's, that's accurate. I mean, look. I am I am family friendly entertainment's answer to Daniel Day Lewis. That's right. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. You yeah. see a lot of effort in my performances. That's uh, sometimes they're hard to watch. I love um, it. So yeah, that airs this Saturday on the GAC. That's right. Uh, on GAC. It's a great American country. If you say so. That's what they say. It, uh, are we ready for the rapid fire? I think we're ready for the rapid fire. Great American it. country. Great American country. That's right. Um, three questions from each of us. From each of us, you have to answer as quickly and as honestly as possible. They can be about anything or nothing. Okay. Usually about nothing. Dan, uh, the best meal that you've ever had in the city. In New York City. Yep. Uh, ba -ba 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 -ba, I would say Gramercy Tavern. I'm sitting at the bar. Have you ever accidentally thrown away something? And if so, what'd you do about it? Love and I got her back, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Wow. 
Man, that's, beautiful. that's deep. Your most memorable uh, movie theater going experience? Uh, the time I saw my dad crying at the end of Cool Runnings. Are you serious? Oh, yeah, yeah. He when cried. Like, wait to go to Jamaica. That's like, right. I can see the tears. Switzerland, and he's on the sideline with the sweater. It was East Germany, actually. East Germany? Oh, I thought it was. Yeah, he was like West German or East German. He said, wait yeah. to go Jamaica. to Jamaica. Oh, I remember. I looked around, and I was like, this movie's dumb. And my dad just <laughs> tears, tears. But he got me back because I started crying during a Baywatch episode. Well, that's worse. <laughs> that's worse because, like, Cool Runnings, how dare you say that's a bad movie? Feel the rhythm, feel the run. Get, Get on, on up. It's Bob's time. time. How dare kiss, you? Kiss sir. my lucky egg, man. That's right. Um, <laughs> which Mighty Ducks movie is the best? One, two, or three? Number one. Interesting. Yeah, two is the best. You're the best. Uh, th- listen, uh, I Neil. I think I've only seen number one. So. I've got. I've got um, okay. Okay. Well, Neil. Good. Neil. Put it on the calendar. Do I need to watch number yeah. two. Yes, we're gonna have a Mighty Ducksathon. You, you me, officially, Dan? you Come officially on. moved Fantastic. from who's the, millennial who's the evil to coach in Mighty Ducks two. Uh, it's Team Iceland. Yeah, Iceland. they go. There's a. I don't know if you know this. A Pee Wee Junior uh, Olympics. Uh, junior Olympics. It's junior Olympics. Wait, 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 and the coach is Karsten Norgard. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Who is a friend of mine from Man in the High Castle. Wow. Oh my gosh. You got to talk to him about Team Iceland. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, uh, Neil. Let's go shake their hands. Yeah, Yeah, you got to watch it. That's right. Good answer. Good answer. Keenan Thompson's in there. It's knuckle puck time. It's knuckle puck time. Come on, man. You can't stop the knuckle puck. Get get out of here. (laughs) Neil, I'm I've I've got twin five year old boys. I've never been to the Pacific Northwest, uh, bar, barring COVID not getting out of hand. Uh, I am going to Seattle for for vacation in the springtime. I'm literally doing it. Yeah, sure you are. I'm really doing it. I'm going to yeah. be in Olympic uh, National Park on a ca- in a cabin okay. for a few days, and then I'm going to be in Seattle, literally three blocks from Pike's place for four days. Pike Place. Pike Place, whatever it is. You know, I, I'm from the South. Give me a break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What am I doing? Tell me the things that are musts. Okay, you're going to go get uh, lunch uh, of oysters and crab at Chinooks. Uh, you're going to have IPAs down at Pike's Brewery. Um, it dep- it'll be the summertime, so maybe try to catch a game at Safeco Field. Or I guess, what is it now? T-Mobile Park. T-Mobile, that's right. Um, you should take the ferry to uh, Bainbridge, which comes in and out of downtown. Um, get, uh, da, 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 maybe try to, you know, actually, here's what my old man did. And this is, I think, actually a pretty solid move. You should rent a little rental boat on Lake Union, get a bucket of fried chicken and a bottle of champagne. <laughs> and it's like, I think he got like Kirkland champagne. So it's yeah, not an expensive good stuff. day out. Yeah. It's KFC and Kirkland champagne. I had brought a girlfriend home to meet him. And that was how he like, he welcomed us to the city. Man, um, and then that's how he could go. afford that boarding school. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I've been saving money by drinking Kirkland champagne that's all right. my life just that's to right. send you to a boarding school. That's right. Um, I, uh, yeah. And then, uh, da, 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 da. then I try to go out to Mount Rainier. Fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned this really quickly and I just want to go back to it. You, uh, when you were auditioning for art schools, you mentioned your audition for Juilliard was uh, quick and, uh, and, and bad. real bad. I yeah. want, I want to hear what happened. It's Juilliard. Well, I did my Jimmy Stewart impression. The first time <laughs> to learn my and you were like, it went bad there. Let's do it again. <laughs> I don't know. I was just like, uh, I was just tense and trying to like, I think I did. Uh, I think I chose Shakespeare. I think I was doing Benedict for much ado about nothing. And I was like, um, I do much wonder how one man seeing how another man is such a fool when he dedicates his behaviors to love. And they were like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's like, come I can, sit, come sit. And I was like, huh? I can so turn, I can turn BBC radio anytime I want to look at this. <laughs> man. I love it. Dude. Fantastic. It. Neil, you've been unbelievable, man. This has been great. You guys were great. You have fantastic. to come back and do this again. Uh, the, the fans in the double decker chat who get to watch this live before we actually put it out. Uh, after we edit it and stuff, they got the, the, they're, they're loving it as well. You're wonderful, sir. Please. You're welcome back here anytime. Thank you very much, Dan. Brent, may I make a suggestion? Please, uh, please. We're only a few years into this. Let's do it. A watch along, a watch along with Neil Bledsoe. Neil, exactly. If we're not, and I will invite Karsten. 
Oh, boy. Dude, I'm just telling you right now. Don't you say dude, it if you're I not going to deliver, Neil. I'm just telling you. I'll do it. I'll I got it, chills down the back of my spine, <laughs> Neil. I, I don't know. I, 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 this is not, a, I'm not making this up. The amount of times we have tried to figure out a oh. way to start a Mighty Ducks podcast. I'm serious. But we can't like figure out a good, a good, this There's is not it. a good angle, but this is the angle. To, re- to rewatch the movies with different cast members. I mean, come on. Man, the first domino is Karsten. This. this is it. We gotta. I gotta go because I gotta go like uh, vision board this. Uh, Neil, <laughs> a movie this Saturday. Can't wait. Until then, may we be the first. Oh, here we go. May we be the first to wish you a Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Deck the Hallmarks of Bramble Jam podcast. It's presented by Philo TV. It's produced by Brandon Gray and recorded live in yeah that Greenville, South Carolina. Set decor is by Plum at Haywood Mall. For more information on Deck the Hallmark, you can go to deckthehallmark.com. For more information on Bramble Jam Podcast Network, you can go to bramblejampodcast.com. You're about to hear some ads that help keep the lights on here at the studio. Feel free to listen. Feel free to turn it off, whatever you want to. But either way, thanks so much for your support.